the Growth Happens Dawn to Dusk podcast with Matt Devitt. He talks with people about their journey, where they succeeded and failed to help others on their quest. We're all on a journey that starts and ends every day. This is when we grow between dawn and dusk. And now your host, Matt Devitt. Welcome, everybody, to the Growth Happens Dawn to Dust podcast. I'm your host, Matt Devitt, bringing to you another interesting guest who is going to highlight a few interesting things. His name is Kevin Dunnell, and we're going to end up talking about how to keep a network alive, how to keep that creative side that you may have had all through your life, how to keep that relevant, and a way to kind of refocus that into some of your technical background that you may have. So very interesting conversation I had with Kevin. Really glad I got an opportunity to sit next to him on a flight. He was a fantastic uh, neighbor to have at 50,000 feet. So before we get into that, definitely appreciate all of the likes and shares that have been going on with this podcast. Please leave a review. Five star definitely helps over on iTunes. You can also find me on Stitcher, Spotify, as well as within Pippa. So Definitely leave some of those comments and shares. All of it is really appreciated. And with that being said, without further ado, Kevin Dunnell. So Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on to the Growth Happens Dawn to Dust podcast and uh, you know, just kind of telling everybody about your interesting journey. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, it's great to be here. So just for the audience's knowledge, it's a, a kind of interesting the way Kevin and I uh, met up. So um, uh, I think I've made this reference before and anybody who's uh, seen the movie Fight Club will get it. But uh, we were basically single serving friends on a uh, flight. And uh, I can't remember if we were delayed on takeoff or something, but we just started uh, chatting up engineering topics, things like that. And lo and behold, we've, uh, you know, stayed in touch. So I guess we became more than just kind of that single serving friend that you pick up on the uh, the airport ride. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you about a lot of the stuff you were doing. And, you know, one of the things I think that would be interesting, uh, Kevin, that you could probably illuminate is, so when we, you and I were talking, it was all, you know, we were talking blockchain, we were talking like 3D printing. Um, but then you also right, referenced right. way, way back in the day when you first started getting into in quotes, you know, industry, whatever that means to certain people, um, <laughs> you know, you were, you were, uh, you know, kind of aerospace, you were working with cars, you were with Fiat Chrysler, correct? Right. Right. Yeah, that's correct. So how did, yeah, oh, so, um, so what's the, what's the fast forward there? I mean, to me, they seem just like they don't, they don't connect. Yeah. I mean, looking back it it's. I'm kind of amazed at sort of just looking at the trajectory I've taken. I would never have guessed that this is sort of the path that I took. But um, I mean, way back in the day, you know, when I was younger, I was just fascinated with with rockets. I used to build model rockets all the time. Fast forward to university, I ended up going to the University of Michigan with a focus on aerospace engineering. Uh, I did minor in art and design because that was always something that I could feel myself getting lost in. You know, it's the type of thing that I was doing where time would pass and I wouldn't even realize it. Um, graduate from, from school and I ended up taking a job uh, in Detroit, uh, working for right outside of Detroit, Auburn Hills, uh, working for yeah, Fiat, Fiat Chrysler. I was doing um, aerothermal engineering for these guys. Um, you know, wind tunnel testing, uh, 
just beating the hell out of these cars, um, getting getting them really hot, uh, taking temperature readings all over the cars. We'd have thermocouples, you know, 200 plus all over these things and doing uh, fluid dynamics and sort of this trade-off between how much can you cool the car down, um, but not giving it too much drag and still meeting those um, uh, fuel efficiency requirements. Um, I did a stint while I was at Chrysler. I had an opportunity to jump over from that group to um, an innovation team. And while I was in that team, we were looking at really broad concepts, sort of what is what does transportation look like 20 years down the road? Um, we were sort of just scratching the surface at that time on concepts like the sharing economy, autonomous driving, um, just things that, that weren't very mainstream at the time. And we would we'd have two different approaches, one where, you know, we're looking at what engineers are doing within the company now and you know, how do we make um, smaller increments on that to get us in the direction of this high level thinking. But then we'd also look at what are completely other companies doing? What is what is NASA doing? What is, um, you know, some of the top um, cycling bicycle manufacturers doing? And how do we sort of compare what mobility means in these senses of the world word, with sort of emerging technology, things like flexible displays or, you know, additive manufacturing. How do, how do we sort of combine that together and then relate that back to our industry and what can we do um, to sort of guide us in that direction? So it was just a really cool um, eye-opening experience. And, you know, that's where I was really introduced to this concept of design thinking um, and just rapid prototyping. And it did draw a lot, uh, a lot upon my engineering skills, but then also a lot of the art and design work I did uh, back in university and sort of in my free time. Uh, so that was, it was a blast. And it also ended up affording me an opportunity to make a connection in the Bay Area, uh, in Palo Alto, uh, with a tech company. Uh, and that's sort of how I bridged over uh, to this tech space. Um, this company was a large IT um, uh, services company that was, we were about 200,000 people around the world. It's an enormous company. Um, and the leadership team there was trying to restructure this really large organization with a focus on design thinking and artificial intelligence. Um, and we were doing a lot of the same stuff. There are a lot of parallels between sort of this design thinking work within the automotive industry um, and the IT space. So that was sort of the common thread that allowed me to make that leap. Um, and then while I was working there, that's, that's sort of what, led to all of this work that I had been talking to you about on this flight, sort of, you know, how do you create something with emerging technology to allow people to better understand uh, emerging technology, allow them to put their hands on things that um, you can't quite, that are very, uh, at a high concept level, hard for people to grasp. So, for example, something like artificial intelligence or blockchain. Blockchain is is thrown around constantly within the last two years it's been getting a lot of press and not so much the correct press i, I would say and a lot of times uh, coming from people that aren't necessarily uh, the people that should be explaining it. Um, it i think a lot of people get kind of scared by emerging technology uh, because of their lack of knowledge around it or sort of um, stories that are told around it that tend to get hyped up in a negative light. Uh, you can see this with artificial intelligence quite a bit. Um, and so really what, what our group was trying to do was, you know, make, make, this, make this stuff more human, make it, make it so where people can come up and put their hands on it. They can see a real world example where um, 
you know, while, you know, a lot of people are talking about the singularity and how robots are going to come in and take over people's jobs, this is actually where we're at today with artificial intelligence, more, more so machine learning as opposed to artificial intelligence. Um, and sort of educating people along those lines, but then also showing them incrementally where, where this can go and then sort of what that looks like in a larger so, sort of social setting. Um, so I spent about three years doing that in San Francisco. And I left about a year ago to start my own company, um, which I'm doing something very similar now. Um, we are a rapid prototype design consulting studio. And we do basically what I was describing uh, prior. We make ideas extant in the real world. And we make concepts uh, that are tangible. Um, we're a globally distributed team. Uh, we're all tinkerers, hackers, creatives, and engineers. And we work with people from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Uh, when we're working with startups, we help them create a media, um, minimum viable product, MVP, uh, as quick as possible. And so this is useful for them for talking with investors, getting securing funding uh, at an early stage. But it's also really helpful for larger businesses because we tend to work with their marketing teams. And a lot of the times they have these sort of broader visions and a lot of buzzwords. It seems like you're kind of playing buzzword bingo with a lot of these larger marketing companies. And what we mm -hmm. tend to do is bring it down to, again, a more human level where people can actually touch things and uh, have a better understanding of, of what we're actually talking about. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at today. That is quite a whirlwind trip. One of the, the <laughs> items that you brought up in there that I found pretty interesting was, and, and I don't want to say you glossed over it, but you, with the Fiat company, you, you basically said something along the lines of, yeah, and then I started to you know, get to know this tech company out in Palo Alto. Um, so, so basically a company that's not even geographically in your current backyard when you were in uh, the right. greater Detroit area. Um, so how did you, like, what were some of the threads you saw in, in potentially the, either the networking that allowed you to make that connection? And is that something that you've seen, um, like beneficial or you've repeated in order to, um, kind of grow these other ventures? Because now you're leading a group of, like you said, global tinkerers that by nature are not in your backyard. So, so you know, how did you kind of build up and, and create that network or even get into the networking with people that allowed you to make that jump? Yeah, I apologize. I definitely did gloss over that. Um, no, 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 no. I, I, I it, thought it was great. I was just kind of <laughs> like, hey, 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 I think there's something really interesting here. Let's talk about it. Yeah, when I go back and tell this story, it's just, you know, I start getting rem reminded of all these different things I did and it's, it's all kind of rushing back. So, um, yeah, it was... I truly attribute this all to my network. Uh, it was a mutual friend that I had that uh, with, with the leadership team uh, down in Palo Alto for this company uh, that I had stayed in touch with that actually introduced me to this team, um, made a recommendation, made a comment actually in passing about sort of the work that I was doing, my background. It just so happened a project uh, that this company was working on, this tech, technology company was aerospace related. Um, and there was a lot of overlap in sort of the way they wanted to approach that problem and sort of my background, we got to talking. Um, and yeah, it just, it sort of grew organically from there. Um, but you're right. I mean, where I'm at today, 
uh, even sort of beyond um, making that leap from automotive uh, over to, to technology, it's it's totally um, my network that is to to attribute that to. Um, being able to sort of uh, continue this this sort of this lifestyle and be able to to have my own company, I, I wouldn't be here without uh, the network that I've created. So, I mean, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with sort of the things I've uh, picked out and sort of you know the successful. I don't want to say successful, but sort of the way that um, I, I've found good days uh, from bad days. You know, I mean, I, I make an effort to, to constantly keep in touch with uh, with friends, but then also uh, past colleagues. Um, I mean, my story, your story, we're just one of of millions and billions of people. Where if you if you're constantly aware of this these, these different threads and these different lives, and there's so much more overlap than um, than you'd think there would be. Uh, even people from high school or people from college, um, people that I've had a class with, did a project with at Chrysler. Um, it's crazy to see how, you know, sometimes we're all on these sort of convoluted paths that somehow continually to cross over. How I'm talking with you now um, about, this, about this project uh, after, after catching you on a flight. Actually, where you had showed me the, uh, it just came back to me, um, we started talking based off of the uh, time lapse hack when you're landing in a yep. uh, in a plane coming down and I was taking a video and you had showed me to go ahead and try the time lapse for that. Yeah, just so when you're breaking right. through the clouds, Crazy. it kind of it, it speeds it up a little bit and just playing with something. Uh, yeah, just uh, playing with that creative itch. So it sounds like community in and of itself is a very integral part, not only to just the way you view your professional life, but really just the way you view how you want to move forward within, um, you know, life in general, like having a community, those around you is really important. What are the, some of the ways that you continue to, right. you know, foster and grow? But then I also think there's an interesting, maybe um, opposite side of this, but also to prune the community, right? Um, so we right. can start with the first one, like, how do you focus on, you know, kind of growing or maintaining just, uh, that level of community that you currently have? I think I'm just very open to interactions for one. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll before that. that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's as simple as, you know, sitting next to somebody on a flight, um, starting up a conversation. I actually give you credit for that uh, this time, but um, a lot of the work that I do, um, like I had mentioned for, for larger companies, it tends to be for marketing teams. And a lot of those uh, events that we uh, support are either trade shows or um, sort of uh, large announcements, um, places where there's lots of people. So there, thankfully, there are a lot of opportunities for me to, to sort of capitalize on that, uh, given the nature of my work. Um, but sort of in my 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 own space, I, I make it a point to, I hate to say this, but I actually go on LinkedIn uh, quite a bit. I, I don't use Facebook. I really don't use um, social media. Uh, it's really LinkedIn, Instagram that I pay attention to. Um, but I just kind of find it fascinating, given the sort of course that I've traversed, seeing how that sort of plays out in other people's professional careers. Um, and I love to, to stay up and stay in touch with, you know, when so-and-so gets a new job or uh, I, I don't, I don't tend to participate in, you know, public 
um, either posting or, or talking with people, but I would love, I love reaching out to them personally and sort of, you know, chatting up about, you know, that career move or how they make that and uh, sort of getting it back into the personal, uh, their personal lives and things that we had shared previously. Um, I definitely always make it a point to sort of given all this travel and all this moving around, um, going to different events and, and having a team that's uh, distributed pretty globally and also working for an international company and developing relationships around the world. As I travel around, I always make it a point to, you know, see the people in these locations that I'm going to visit, uh, whether it's just to grab a beer or, you know, get dinner, go out and actually do something. Um, but I always make it a point to to see people when I'm in these physical locations because I really think that's that's at a premium today, uh, seeing somebody face to face. Uh, given LinkedIn, given um, our connectivity all the time, must being able to have this interview uh, over the phone right now. Um, I think people also do uh, on the op opposite side of that sort of place a premium on getting that sort of attention or that sort of interaction. Um, I guess sort of voicing this, it, it kind of sounds almost like, you know, this is my, uh, it almost sounds a bit manipulative, um, but, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, it doesn't feel that way to me. Uh, I think I, I genuinely enjoy um, sort of interacting, interacting with friends, interacting with people that I meet and sort of, um, you know, being part of different people's lives and likewise keeping up with uh, different people's lives around the world. Yeah, that w I wouldn't think that sounds manipulative. I mean, with myself traveling a lot, I mean, it's not uncommon if I can, you know, connect with a, you know, college friend or something like that. When I happen to be in the neighborhood, I mean, it's it's uh, always one of those, you know, hey, I'm in your neighborhood. Can we get together? You know, it's really up to that person, yeah. you know, does it fit their schedule? Does it sure. not? Cool. No big deal. I mean, I think for not I think I know for myself, like the the ones that I really enjoy having within like my own personal community don't worry so much about the time you know in between contact but more the quality that happens during each contact and so Definitely. i've never really thought of it i mean i can understand where it, it could feel you know from that manipulative standpoint potentially but i always looked at it from more of a free will standpoint of like hey if it works for everybody great you know let's go have a good time um and then you know just pick right up where we left off you know those are those are the 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 friendships and within the community, I really put a premium on because then there's no guilt where I feel like, oh, I've got to check in with this person, you know, in six totally. months or they might feel bad. You know, it's like, I mean, there's a friend of mine who I hadn't seen since I graduated college and got together and, uh, you know, you catch up on some of the old stuff, but you really just pick up where you left off. And it was amazing. You know, he's still one of my best friends. Definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. Those are definitely the ones to hold on to. And, and I mean, to your point about sort of the pruning, I think that's your, that's your go-to right there, right? I mean, people that do sort of make you feel guilty or relationships that it does feel more like a task to, to reach out to somebody or more of like an agenda item. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's as, uh, unfortunately, as valuable. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But I mean, that you, is, you know, there's how many people out in the world. It's like, okay, so I have a choice too on who I interact with. So why would I right. go where there's negative energy when I can go where there's positive energy? Totally. But to that point, so, I mean, that, that is definitely one of the hard parts is, you know, sort of realizing how much time that you're, you know, while I like, like seeing everybody and, you know, um, uh, get, giving my time 
to other people putting it other places um that that is definitely something i struggle with i think uh is is you know sort of sort of pruning those those connections or it, it's something i'm working on at least so totally understand where where that comes from yeah and maybe sometimes you know i'm kind of thinking about this out loud as i work it through in my head but you know maybe pruning isn't the right way but it's more of we stay with the the kind of gardening idea of maybe it's seasons right you know, certain connections right. fall out of season where well, the next season comes in, you know, so the next harvest or, or whatever's there as that goes out of season, like that same person that fell out now comes back into season again based on, you know, where different people are within their their life. But yeah, it's it's pretty interesting on how if you try to make it look more organic in its nature and less of, a you know, kind of a mechanical, um, I guess, process. Right. One of the things that yeah, I found interesting when we talked as well, um, and even talking now to you, is you're quite the traveler, just in general. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I got that feeling when we spoke. I mean, I think when I was talking to you, you were telling me about where you had been that month. And, you know, it wasn't just in the U.S. I mean, I think there were a couple of countries in there. Right. Um, so one of the things that I looked up your profile, so since you brought up LinkedIn, I did pull up your profile while we were talking real quick. And the remote year. I've never yeah. heard of that before. What is that? So um, it's a it's a program for uh, essentially geared towards digital nomads. Um, I, I really don't like that term. Um, I prefer saying creative cohort. Um, but it was it was really cool. I actually my friend who I had studied abroad with, uh, we studied abroad in Australia, um, our junior year of college. His sister was actually on the second sort of cohort that went out with Remote Year. And basically what Remote Year is, is it's, it's a professional group that people apply to. Um, everybody has a job that allows them to work remotely. And so a lot of these people are, some, some people are, you know, they're still working a nine to five job that, um, you know, they don't have to go to the office. They can do most of their work from home. Most of the people are freelancers, um, a large part of, uh, group actually owns their own business. Um, but basically, Remote Year curates this group of people um, and then sets an itinerary uh, for an entire year and has this this group move around from city to city throughout the entire year. So I just went on the, I think it was the 17th uh, cohort to go out with Remote Year. Um, and we started back in November of 2017. So I actually, I was I was meeting you just at the tail end um, of my experience with them. But we, we spent, I think we lived in 10 or so different countries over the entire year. Um, every, every month was a different city. Uh, and during that time, you know, we'd be based in one of those, those cities, but then also take a couple trips, you know, maybe to a country over another country over. And some of those, some of these countries are easier to do that with. Um, but it was an amazing experience. I mean, we were all working in, uh, co-working spaces, um, uh, daily, but then, you know, over the weekends or after work, we were immersing ourselves in a c culture that was completely different from um, what I had known prior. So really cool experience. And it's actually th this whole concept of, you know, um, working remotely or um, sort of traveling and this digital nomad lifestyle. It's there are a couple of other groups out there in addition to remote year. And this is definitely something that's, that's picking up um, in sort of my generation. Um, and, you know, you can see a lot of stuff 
being uh, being geared geared toward this sort of style of uh, of life and work now, um, where you're sort of kind of always on, but then you kind of uh, wrap your your work lifestyle uh, together a little bit more. Um, yeah, I I just I've kind of always worked better that way uh, personally. Um, I have a hard time fully shutting off, I think, one or the other, which, I mean, it kind of goes back to this whole, um, you know, friendships and, you know, business partners and, you know, I, you know, love going out for a beer, but then also, you know, talking about a new startup project or, you know, there's never been a fully on or off um, for me between the two. So it made something like this very, very enticing to me uh, and very cool. Yeah, that sounds like a very, uh, I mean, very unique experience from the standpoint of, you know, it, it probably hit a lot of different buttons for you. You know, the travel, the oh yeah, the newness of you know knowing you're going to wake up somewhere different, and you know maybe you know, two weeks to four weeks later, um, you know, a small community. So at least you had your tribe, so to say, that you were traveling with, and uh, and yeah. going around the. So the remote working that you were actually doing at that standpoint, I find really interesting because, you know, the the way some parts of the economy are going um, really open this up for working remotely. Um, but then also you work within rapid prototyping, which right. the way I would think of that is that's going to be made in a physical location, potentially one location. So then you've got those individuals that really, you know, there's certain individuals that won't be able to work remote. Um, and I'm not saying that's bad. It's just, it's kind of interesting when I look at it, like you could have this whole, you know, portion of a culture that like you talk about can be pretty much anywhere. And then this other portion right. that supports the, the, the economy and the culture where they're just like, nope, this is where I go every day, nine to five. Um, it's just kind of interesting the way that that break is, is becoming more and more apparent these days. Right. I mean, to that point, I actually think that break is, is even getting a little bit more muddy now, too, because like you had mentioned, a lot of the prototype I, prototyping I do, yes, there's a, there's a good portion of it that's screen-based, but there is a lot of sort of tangible, you know, either 3D printed, printed objects, you know, like physical circuitry that, that needs to be, to be made in the world. You know, there, there's a tangible component to a lot of the work that I do. Um, and it was just interesting to see. I was a little worried about this at first, um, but I did a, quite a bit of research before starting this program. And not only co-working spaces are becoming a big deal, and just you know, uh, for your listeners that might not be familiar, they're basically just shared working spaces, high-speed internet access. Uh, you pay a small fee. Lots of them tend to have you know coffee and, and snacks available as well. Uh, set up to a lot of uh, set up similarly to a lot of um, uh, startup spaces, but um, Something else that I've noticed that's pretty prominent now too are maker spaces. And so these are also places where you pay a very small fee and have access to really high powered equipment that is pretty expensive and otherwise pretty difficult to have access to. So things like really great uh, 3D printers, laser cutters, uh, CNC machine, machines, um, you know, welding equipment, like, like very powerful tools uh, in some cases. And it's funny, um, I think the first place we were headed to uh, was Vietnam, um, uh, Hanoi, Vietnam. And I remember just doing a quick Google search and, and finding, I think, three or so maker spaces right around the area uh, with, with all of these, these sort of things. And this whole concept was alive and well there. Next place we we're going was Chiang Mai, Thailand. They had them as well. Um, so 
I think this concept is, is pretty widespread now. Um, and it also opens the door for a lot of just interesting sort of physical manufacturing opportunities when you're talking about countries that, um, you know, are sort of sort of still growing, you know, um, where there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of people that are able to help out at a relatively affordable price as well. Um, so it's interesting, very interesting time. Yeah, I would agree. So with that level of interaction across, you know, different cultures and, you know, perspectives, your own cohort that you're working with, did you go into it with, you know, a, a set perspective or something like that and uh, just of the world or workspace or whatever it might have been? And after a year, did you leave and have, you know, that old perspective just completely changed? Did it get better? Like, you know, just what, how did you feel you changed going into it versus coming out like during that process? That, I mean, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised I haven't been confronted with that yet since, you know, getting off of this trip from anybody else. Um, it was an interesting time when I started that, um, uh, that, that experience. I had just left uh, this larger tech company, just started my own business. I was getting things off the ground. Um, so I think sort of just that transition from leaving the corporate world where, you know, right up from going to college, graduating college, getting a nine to five job, I was very set on, you know, this is what work life looks like. Um, going to the Valley and kind of getting a sense that, you know, I'm traveling quite a bit for work. Uh, I still have a nine to five job, but you know, all these people are sort of tinkering in their free time. And, um, I was exposed to a lot of that, to leaving the corporate world, going on a, a trip like this where you see people, you know, living in Morocco who, you know, a nine to five job is so far from the norm there. Um, and then you kind of look at this sort of making making your own way and sort of starting a business of your own. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be this sort of set time or this sort of way of living. And it, it really just kind of, um, for better or for worse, gave me this sense that, you know, anything is possible. But like, you know, I can create whatever looking life I want to for myself. I mean, there are so many different ways that people are living their life around the world. And, you know, we're taught at, you know, a young age, especially, um, you know, in suburban America growing up and, you know, what the American dream is and this is how you achieve it. It's it's a very narrow view on, on how to live your life. Um, and so I think if anything, it just, like I said, for better or for worse, it's almost like almost too many options, you know, because I mean, you, you can do anything. Um, but it was a very empowering thing to realize. So with the, the, I guess, the knowing of now there's a buffet of selections of which you will, you know, which way you want to live your life <laughs> or, or potentially um, move forward with it. So now that you have all of these options, how have you started to actually narrow that down and, you know, implement what you think is best for, um, you know, your companies that you're up and running now? Yeah, it's, it's been difficult. Um, that initial realization is sort of drinking from a water fountain because uh, I sort of had all these options available and I tried doing everything. Um, I tried doing, you know, eight projects at once. Uh, and you, you simply can't do that. You know, you gotta, you gotta pick and choose and, um, 
to really make any substantial progress on anything, you really need to focus on a handful of things. And I've sort of found that, you know, two to three projects is sort of my sweet spot right now. I've noticed that, you know, doing one one project at a time, I tend to get a little bit bored um, with that. And my mind will start to wander to all these other things and want to, you know, touch and play with all these different other ideas. But having two or three sort of key projects that are enough diversified and ideally at different stages um, is sort of the sweet spot that I've I've come to realize. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So that not only do you have variety across topics, but also, you know, the timeline. So as you're, you know, basically handing right. one project off, you got another one that's onboarding, one that's, you know, basically somewhere in the middle of that process. Um, yeah, I would agree. Definitely. I think uh, uh, from project management management jobs I've had in the past, um, you very quickly start to get an idea of either the number or like just general scope size when you kind of add them all together, you know, you sum them all up like, okay, sure. this is about what I can handle. Um, and once you figure that out, it's really just about, you know, managing it and getting more efficient as far as the outcome. So, definitely. well, Kevin, I definitely want to be respectful of your time. I just took a look at the clock and uh, I know you got to jump over to another call shortly. So I definitely appreciate you, you know, taking the time talking about this. I definitely want to do a part two with you. I mean, we didn't even get a chance to really talk about you know, your, uh, your businesses that are just up and running. I mean, they're pretty new. I think they're just over the, you know, you got a couple of one-year-old companies that you're working with right now. So, um, yeah, yeah, we definitely love to do a part two with you sometime in the future. If people are interested in learning more about you, what you're doing, maybe to, you know, connect with you about, um, remote workspaces, what are some good ways that people can find you in the vast interwebs? So yeah, in the interwebs, um, LinkedIn, like I had mentioned before, is always good for me. Uh, for a little bit more, something more personal, um, Instagram, my handle is Kevin Donnell. Um, I also have a website, also just kevindonnell.com. Um, and yeah, uh, you can check out our, our website. We're actually, it's pretty plain right now, but we are working on a blog for it. It is bit.design. Um, that is just the URL. So yeah, you can stay up to date with, with what we're doing as a company there as well. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you again for the time. I'll definitely, uh, we'll have to get together. Maybe we'll do something in person if we actually connect in an airport again sometime in the future and, uh, and look forward yeah. to talking with you and all the best on these new companies that you got up and running. Thanks so much, Matt. I would love to do a part two as well, by the way, uh, looking forward to the future, but yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, no really worries. Take care, friend. Thank, thank you. Take care. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Kevin. I really enjoy his perspective on networking, on you know remote working and how you can just pick up and go, creativity, just great perspective. I really look forward to meeting up again with him in the future and doing a round two, see where he's going. Definitely check him out on the interwebs. His links will be in the show notes as well as his new company. Take a look to see what they're doing over there. One last thing, uh, just an ask from my standpoint, if you would, look me up on the interwebs, on the Instagram, on the Twitter, all those things, as well as like and share and leave a review of this podcast. Really means a lot to me. I'm enjoying the feedback that I'm getting and it's all helpful and I'm hoping this is delivering a product that you guys are enjoying. So once again, just remember, growth happens between dawn and dusk.